Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Zinex English Podcast. Welcome back to reality. Before I tell you what this edition is about, there is actually one point I need to come back to. It is very important that I make myself clear, uh, that I explain when I stand on this one. Let's get to it. Okay, I admit, after having some time to think about it, that I got a bit carried away. Obviously, I'm talking about meeting Luke from Luke's English Podcast and recording the episode. By carried away, I mean I used too many compliments. I flattered Luke excessively. And as a result, he said that I had treated him as a celebrity. Um, I actually did mean all of it, as it was. He deserves to be treated like that. He created his world out of, out of the... No, not out of the blue. Um, from the scratch. He's doing his service for free. I think this deserved a lot of respect. So, I don't mean by any means to take this back. Take what I said back. I just admit... I could have been a bit cooler about all this. Um, it was brought up to my attention that someone might think that by behaving in this kind of a way, um, kind of worshipping your star or something, that someone might actually think that I'm trying to take advantage of Luke by flattering him, you know, that it might look as if I'm trying to kind of win his favor by uh, groveling. And I want to assure you that I am not. I am not this kind of person. I'm just, I'm just supporting him because I respect his work. And maybe it's because people don't know me. People, this, for a lot of people, this was the first episode they listened to. This one with Luke. And, you know, first impressions are not always correct, you know. Maybe, maybe they should give me some more time to uh, arrive at a verdict, you know. I don't know. True, true. Luke helped me by posting this episode, this triple episode, getting me some new listeners. But at the end of the day, this is really all up to me. And my ability and skill and expertise as well to attract uh, the attention of new listeners. This is the only way to keep them interested in my podcast. Sure, uh, it helps if Luke advertises uh, my podcast on his site. Uh, a lot of people will come to have a look. But then ultimately, it is all up to me to convince them that this is a place where they can find some quality podcasting material. I think this whole thing was well summed up in a message I got from Sam from Brazil, living in the UK. Uh, I'm gonna read you this message because I find it really interesting and when he sent me this message, I could only agree with it. He's saying, Hello Zdeniek. I loved your words and earnestly enjoyed your podcast interview with Luke. Nonetheless, if you permit me to say 
you might have been exaggerating on your compliments somehow. Therefore, when you elevate someone too high, Luke Thompson, on the other hand, you make yourself too small. And I do think you are bigger than that. Compliments, yes. However, canonization and idolization are too overwhelming and overpowering. Enjoy your day, mate, and I'd love to have a proper chat with you because you are a nice guy. Lastly, please don't take it the wrong way. Well, I'm not trying to take it in the wrong way, and obviously I'm a nice guy, of course I am. Um, yeah, I think you are right. This is exactly, this is exactly how I feel about it now. Uh, um, I may have gone a bit too far, but trust me, like all I said was coming from my heart, and I, I meant it. Is just now after having some responses from various fans. Most of them were supporting ones, but some of them suggested that I may have gone a bit too far, and I have to agree with them. So again, to make it clear, I'm certainly not trying to take advantage. Uh, quite the opposite. I'm trying to learn a lesson from this. What is interesting is that the fact that I wore my heart on my sleeves, meaning I displayed my emotions openly, was appreciated mostly by people from South America and South Europeans. I got positive feedback from people from these places, which seems like a, it seems like some kind of a pattern, isn't it? Seems like um, people from the South appreciate if people are emotional more than people from different places. I don't know, but it certainly is an interesting finding for me. Right, this is off my chest now. And um, now about this episode. Last three episodes featured Luke Thompson. As you know, I don't need to remind you, do I? Um, and I thought it wouldn't be wise not to capitalize on it. Um, by doing some kind of an analysis episode. Uh, obviously, Luke is a native speaker of English, and what's more, an articulate person. So there is much that he can teach all of us, including myself. And so I thought, let's do this analysis episode straight, as I was doing the interview, actually. So this idea is uh, quite old. And how am I going to do this? Well, I developed a brand new approach, a brand new method. Uh, I wouldn't call it developing, but um, I've just come up with it. And it's going to be like this. I'm going to chronologically follow the interview, um, all three parts, but this one, this one will cover only the first part because uh, there are so many points I want to talk about that all three parts or two wouldn't simply fit. So what I did, I have cut out certain parts of the interview to which I want to respond, to which I want to react. And it, it can be a selection of Luke's vocabulary, some idioms maybe, or just some words, or there are a lot of phrasal verbs. B, it could be some mistakes I committed, some errors I made, and see something I just want to react to because I find it interesting. Okay, so these are the rules. Uh, I, 
I sincerely hope that you understood how it's gonna be done. And now let's get down to business. But what's more, what's even more important is that I have a guest here who will hopefully help me with with this interview. And this guest is a very special guest. It's actually I don't know how to introduce him, but it's the voice behind Luke's English Podcast. It's Luke himself, Luke from Luke's English Podcast. I can't believe it. Can you? Am I supposed to say something now? How am I supposed to react to this? <laughs> right. This might as well be possibly the worst introduction I have ever done. It's too long, awkward and anticlimactic. Not worthy of Luke, of course. My nervosity level was 8 out of 10 there. Uh, I always hate starting an interview. And I often do a lousy job at this. I definitely should have got prepared for this much better. I should have learned some more impressive introductory phrases. It wouldn't do any harm to learn uh, at least the introduction by heart. Maybe it could help. It could have helped me to calm myself down or something. It's too late now. Anyway, Luke's reaction was. Am I supposed to say something? And I thought this could be an interesting point to start this analysis. Um, you may have learned at school that some and uh, the compounds something, somewhere, someone, um, etc. are usually used in affirmative sentences. And in negative, we prefer any, anyone, anything, anywhere, etc. as well as in questions, also any, anything, anywhere, anyhow. It is true, but actually, like very often in English, there is an exception to this rule. And Luke is a native speaker, why would he make a deliberate mistake in this, especially since he is a teacher? Let me repeat it. He said, am I supposed to say something? So clearly this is a question, right? And clearly he uses some or uh, the word something which contains some. What is this? Well, this is an interesting phenomenon. This is some used in questions. Remember, if you expect a positive answer, you can use this. You can use some in questions. For example, in a restaurant. Would you like something to drink? This is a typical example. Um, would you like some money? Everybody wants money. So, you know, we expect a positive answer to this. So we can use some in a question. It's slightly biased. It's a biased question because uh, we, we are asking in a way that we kind of guess how the person we are asking is going to respond. Right? So, if it is a neutral question, like, if Luke hadn't known the answer to this, he might have said, am I supposed to say anything, which would have been a neutral question, right? In that case, it would have been also correct, but 
it would have been a neuter question and it would have been up to me to say yes or no, you know. But this was definitely not this kind of question. This was more of a joke, of course. And you may have noticed that even the intonation is doesn't is a bit you know is a bit different to what an intonation of a neutral question would have been. Incidentally, I should have responded with something much funnier, of course. How am I supposed to react to this was not exactly what I am proud of. Now, listening back to what I have recorded with Luke, um, even plain yes or no would have done the trick better, I think, now. Maybe with some kind of uh, special intonation. Never mind. Anyway. Initially, I didn't. I wasn't looking for it to, in order to improve my own English. Right. I used it to, uh, to improve my lesson with my Arabic students. Right. I used the word improve twice in a short time span, which is slightly stylistically awkward. A good speaker and language user has an arsenal of vocabulary. That was clever of me there, right? That was very smart. A good pun. Arsenal, you know that I'm an Arsenal fan. So, uh, instead of improve, I could have used words like enhance or make better. Or even liven up, in that case. Uh, liven up uh, can be substituted by juiced, juiced up or jest up. Interesting phrase of verbs I found in a dictionary. Okay, so that's clear, right? I don't know, we'll need to check that, but mm. just it rings a bell. Episode 43, sure, health and feeling ill. What a nice expression, it rings the bell. It basically means it reminds me something. You are unsure what and where you heard it, what exactly it is, but it somehow rings the bell. Somehow um, you remember something about this, but not the whole bit. Okay, so for example, a person could ask, have you ever heard of Tottenham Hotspur? Yeah, yeah, I have. It rings the bell. Aren't they the water polo team from Scandinavia? Okay, um, I'm sorry, my bad, I need to make one thing right here, to ring a bell, okay, indefinite article, not to ring the bell, but to ring a bell, it rings a bell, sorry about that mistake. By the way, that episode was 40, not 43, uh, and certainly not 140, Luke was obviously still closer than me, but uh, not exactly right, so the episode... Uh, feeling ill and health or whatever it is called is 40 not 43 so i thought i would give it a change for now yeah all right it seems like i invented a new collocation there the internet says no which is a great method to check if a collocation is good just google it if you're not sure just google it how many times it appears as an entry there uh, will tell you if this is a good collocation or not. So apparently give it a change uh, is, according to Google, my neologism. So I suppose a better expression would have been 
to do it differently for a change or something like that. So it was always drummed into me, and I believe it, that um, the teacher should step back and try and let the students do the talking. So It was always drummed into me. I absolutely love this phrase of verb, and I need to remember it because I think it would be a great addition to my own vocabulary. Do you want to remember it too? Well, it's up to you. Your brain is a powerful tool. Uh, you just need to know how to use it. So I guess this one is quite easy to remember, actually, because uh, you can vividly imagine how Luke holding a drum is drumming this into your head um, in a teacher-talking time rhythm. My sentence, let's see. I always drum into my students that in affirmative sentences the subject comes before the verb and they never listen. I wonder why. I'm thinking maybe they don't understand the word affirmative. So maybe next time I should draw the plus symbol on board to help them. This vis visual could do the trick. Or maybe, you know, maybe it wouldn't work actually. Maybe they would get scared of me even more. They would think I am a maths teacher or something. It's very easy for English teachers to, to, to steal all the talking time and to show off. Because like naturally students, especially when they're learning language, will fall into that behavioral pattern hmm. of being subservient to the teacher and they respect the teacher and they laugh at the teacher's jokes because of the status, you know, because the teacher is high status and, and all that kind of thing. And that can lead to the teacher um, um, getting the wrong idea, thinking to themselves, well, I'm much more entertaining than I actually am, you know, and it, it happens to many, many English teachers. Luke might have a point, but I still think that uh, there can be funny as well as less funny teachers and boring ones and those don't motivate you if they bore you. Because I even did one, when I was at university, I even did one um, action research, or was it some kind of, I wrote an essay, I don't remember exactly, but I remember I looked into humor and how it can motivate students to learn English. And what I found was that humor and laughter create great atmosphere and therefore it's ideal condition for motivating your students as a teacher. And from the point of view of the students, it's ideal for learning something. But Luke is right that when the class laughs about something funny, I say, I feel like I am um, on the top of my world, you know, I feel like I'm very funny and it makes me want to produce even more jokes. So, basically what Luke is implicitly suggesting, what Luke is hinting at, is that I'm not as funny as I actually believe I am. I would like to think that I'm funny, to be honest, Luke. I hope you didn't mean that. Uh, anyway. I mean, uh, there are some nationalities, you're right, that, that naturally are a lot more gregarious or... 
Gregarious. That's an interesting word to enrich my own vocabulary. So as Luke says, it means outgoing or sociable. People who love interaction, getting together, those who love to socialize are gregarious people. Of course, it's an adjective. You can guess, even if you don't know the word, you can guess kind of from its form, can't you? It ends in O-U-S, which is a typical adjectival ending. Uh, There are a lot of adjectives which end with us, like famous or miraculous or even marvelous, audacious. I don't know. There are many, many more, of course. And I think uh, to be gregarious, it's mostly a domain of extroverts, of extroverted people. Are you gregarious, listeners? Or do you know any gregarious people? Try to think about it for a minute and maybe it will help you to remember this word. They might get a bit pissed off if the only talking they're hearing is from other learners of English. And they're like, I don't want to hear these people who speak badly. I want to hear, uh, you know, the teacher speaking. Piss off. Not you, listeners. You stay here. To piss means, obviously, to go to the toilet, uh, to do your number one, um, or to to urinate, uh, if you want a formal word, or to take a leak, if you prefer uh, some phrase. Uh, sorry, I had to revise this. I, I'm sure you know this one. Uh, you learned it from the lesson about pissing. <clears throat> uh, to get pissed, or to be pissed, it has to do with drinking alcohol. If you are pissed, you are really drunk. If you get pissed, you get drunk. And C, to be pissed off, which is exactly the meaning Luke used, means to be really angry. It is slightly vulgar and very informal spoken English expression. I suggest that you don't use it in your essays uh, or you will piss the teacher off. Um, You will piss him off. Don't do it. So better go for more formal vocabulary if you really need to write your essay about uh, urinating. So people's understanding of the teaching methods are catching up. Teaching methods are catching up. A useful phrase, a verb there. Uh, To catch up, it's frequently used among British speakers, I noticed. And it has more meanings. I don't want to go into all of them because there are many, many meanings this phrasal verb has. Uh, but this particular use here was when you fall behind. Imagine you are at school and maybe you are absent. You miss uh, you miss a couple of classes and you kind of start falling behind. You you don't exactly know what uh, what is studied and. It is always better if you hear the teacher explain everything. So you may start to fall behind, unless you are uh, some kind of a genius, of course, which may happen as well. Um, but what happens is, so what happens when you get back to school? Maybe you had illness, maybe you were ill, you had the flu or a cold, or maybe you had bad attitude, you just wanted to stay home for for some time. But anyway... You may be falling behind, so 
what you need to do when you get back to school, you need to start catching up. You need to catch up with uh, what is being studied. Okay? I'm into this uh, TV series, Mind Your Language. Mind Your Language, It's yeah. like one of my favorite ones. Yeah. And I know it's like from the 70s. Yes. It's really, really old. Yeah. And even there, you can see some the, the teacher there, I forgot his name. I can't remember his name. Yeah, I... but... His name is Jeremy Brown, of course. Uh, but let's look into something else. When Luke said, I can't remember his name either... Some students have actually problem with this word either. There are a few grammar constructions or few grammar tools we can use in English to agree. Okay, You can use either at the end of a sentence to agree like this. You know, uh, Luke said, I can't remember his name either. He basically agreed with me because I said it initially that I don't remember his name. But be careful, this can only be done when you agree with negative statements. Okay, so I said I can't remember his name, which is a negative statement, because it contains uh, can't, and Luke wanted to agree with me, so again negative, and he uses either at the end of it. You can, you can say either, uh, it has two, there are two variations of the pronunciation of this word. So you have to be careful and use this only in negative statements. For example, I don't support Manchester United. I root for Manchester City. I don't like them either. I'm a Spurs fan. Really? Are you? Well, I feel sorry for you, bro, if you are. Um, but I don't think actually that you are a Spurs fan because I honestly don't believe that any Spurs fan would be listening to my podcast uh, for, to everyone, a known reason, right? If, if you're familiar with the language learning classroom, then it will strike a chord with you. To strike a chord with someone, it means that it causes people remember something, that it evokes emotions, that you kind of identify with something. People remember something because it is similar to their own experience. Something like that. Those are uh, definitions basically I found on the internet because this was to me a totally new idiom to strike a chord with someone. Uh, let me just spell the word chord for you because it may be difficult for some of you to imagine what it is actually. It's C-H-O-R-D. Chord. C-H-O-R-D. Chord has more meanings, of course. Among others, it means a combination of usually more musical tones played simultaneously, which means at the same time. Guitar players uh, learn the chords. Can you play the guitar? Well, I can't. All I can do is just to pretend to be an expert, of course. Um, maybe it can help you to remember this, to strike a chord. That's what you may do when you play the guitar. You strike a chord. Maybe if you imagine that you're playing the guitar, um, it can help you to remember this expression. Well, just to explain why I'm giving you these tips uh, on how to remember things. It's because recently I have listened to Luke's English podcast episode about memory 
and mnemonics yet again because I really find it a good, possibly one of the best sources and pieces of advice on how to remember new vocabulary. And it is always challenging for, for a lot of people to remember new vocabulary. In this episode, Luke says that you should create some kind of connection in your brain with something that you already know. And this connection should be vivid, personal, funny, and weird, or one of those four. So I'm trying to do this for myself because I don't remember the word to strike a chord. And it is also hard for me to imagine myself playing a guitar because I can't play any musical instrument. But maybe it can help me if I actually manage to picture myself in this position. Maybe it can help me to remember this. Maybe it could help you too. Just don't imagine me because it's harder to imagine. Imagine yourselves or Eric Clapton or any other guitar player. The time, ch the time change. Times change or the time changes. Uh, unfortunately, I made a mistake there. In Concord, it's my error. I, I'm sorry. I don't know why. Should I should maybe blame the nerves. Anyway, um, times change. It basically means that the popular things become fat. They go out of fashion. They go. Uh, they goat. No, I didn't mean goat. Goat has nothing to do with this. Goat is, as you know, a bird, an animal with feathers. Uh, which can fly, and which is sometimes a very good meal. We, I think many people would consider Mind Your Language to be borderline racist now. Yeah. It's not... I can feel it there. It's bit. not meant to be. I mean, they yeah, didn't yeah, yeah. set out yeah. to do something negative. Yeah. They set out to make a funny show, and it is a funny show. I remember exactly these moments you're talking about. Yeah. Like. Bloody phrasal verbs. To set out to do something. Phrasal verbs are always hard because they're polysemic. Polysemic, what does it mean? Well, it means that they have more meanings. To set out means to start journey. This is one meaning I always know, that I always remember. But here, Luke uses this phrasal verb a bit differently. To set out to do something here means to intend to do something. The authors of Mind Your Language didn't set out or intend to do this. It wasn't meant to be negative. Their intention wasn't to provoke, to mock or taunt. They wanted to do something funny. So they didn't, so they didn't set out to uh, mock certain nationalities or to be, be racist or something. My example... I set out to do the next English podcast to improve my own English. But I think now there is more to it than just improving my English. It has to a certain extent taken over my life. It has become part of my life routine. So it's not just about improving my English. Okay? Even though initially I set out to do it to enhance my English. Right. Without an English audience getting uncomfortable really? because they would think that it was some sort of, uh, you know, poking fun at foreigners, you can't do that. So the only way it could work would be if the learners of English get the upper hand. Two bits of vocabulary here, actually. 
to poke fun at someone, to poke fun at foreigners in this case, which means to ridicule or to make fun of. Sometimes I poke fun, I poke fun at myself, which is called sometimes self-deprecating humor. I think it's a good way to make people like you sometimes if you poke fun at yourself, uh, especially if you uh, poke fun at them, you should always try to balance it, try to compensate for it by occasionally uh, poking fun at yourself. A bit of self-deprecating humor won't do any harm. And the second bit of vocabulary here is to get the upper hand, to get upper hand. Learners of English get the upper hand, or have the upper hand. It means uh, they have position of power or control over somebody else. So if you get the upper hand, you are in a more powerful or controlling position. The traditional model, as you know, is that the teacher has the upper hand, but uh, this model is now kind of on the wane, uh, it's disappearing. They probably would be all right with it too, yeah. but all it would take is a certain group of people who are very yeah. sensitive to these yeah. things yeah. to take against it. Another phrase of verb, what a nightmare, to take against, to take against. It means to start to dislike, usually because uh, you have a good reason to. I hope my listeners won't take against me because I flattered Luke on a couple of occasions. Praising Luke for the job he's doing with Luke's English Podcast. I hope they will stand by me and back me up. If you look around, I can see about millions, million, millions of people, so million, yeah. million people here. I haven't got the slightest idea what I was doing there. This one, I can assure you listeners that this one I know like the back of my hand. Because I often teach it. If you, in case you have forgotten, uh, your host uh, from Zdeněk's English Podcast is Zdeněk and he is an English language teacher, a qualified teacher with a master's degree. But even a teacher can have an off day, right? And I certainly had off day there. My grammar expertise suffered uh, a setback there. Maybe I should tell you what I'm talking about, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. High time. About time. Million people or millions of people. Million people when you mean specific number, meaning one, zero, 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 zero. Six nils, okay? That's a million. Million people. However, millions of people means hell of a lot of people, right? A lot of people. It doesn't have to be specific number. In fact, it's never specific number if you say millions of people. Because it's a bit vague, vague uh, figure. So that's what I wanted to use, of course. Millions of people. Uh, I wanted to use this one because it was hard to tell just sitting in a park, looking around. And I wasn't exactly concentrating on counting or counting people. I would certainly fall asleep counting people from one to million. You know, it's like this kind of a technique. When you want to fall asleep, you start counting sheep. 
And I think I would fall asleep by the time I got to 1000. Of course, it was a bit overstating. I don't think there was, there were millions of people. Possibly, there could have been hundreds of people, not more. But I was a bit exaggerating, overstating it. This is St. James's Park that we're is sitting it? in here. Yeah. Okay. We're just, uh, we're just like about 100, 200 meters away from Buckingham Palace. Okay. Um, this, this is the Queen's front garden, essentially. Um, you can see the London Eye over there. there oh, yes. Big Ben is nearby as well, but we can't see it because of the trees. I think I might have come across here as slightly rednecky sort of person, reacting in a surprised way, right? Of course I know we were in St. James's Park. Actually, I didn't. I didn't. Because all parks look the same to me. Oh my god. Sorry, guys. Sorry to let you down on this one. Okay, and you're about to publish second hundredth episode? The, yeah. Two hundredth, sorry. Two hundredth episode. 200. Really, Zdeněk, are you beep kidding me? Second hundred? What the beep were you doing there? I don't know. I don't have a clue. Sorry. I've been thinking about that for about a year and I haven't managed to get myself together because it... To get oneself together means to get organized. It means that you need some time to get ready. Similar expressions are to take control over or to get a grip or to pull oneself together, which means more or less to take control of your emotions. To get oneself together means to get organized and you can learn this one in combination with to get a grip or to pull oneself together, which is more about some kind of emotions. I had to pull myself together, I had to get a grip after being so carried away with um, doing this interview with Luke. It was time for me to face the music. Let's hope. I got well organized to prepare this episode for you and that you are reaping the benefits of my decision to get myself together by listening to it now. Only time will show. Please do write me even short comments uh, in, on Facebook or on Audioboo. I will appreciate it. Because if I, for example, don't organize that competition properly and people send me stuff and I lose their recording or I absentmindedly don't remember to put it on or something like that, then it, it would be really disrespectful. Absentmindedly is an adverb. I like this one. It is derived from the adjective absent-minded. It often happens to very intelligent people like some professors, absent-minded professors. You know? They many a times forget something somewhere absent-mindedly. They think about serious stuff because uh, they are professors. That's what professors do, right? They write research uh, and they ponder about some intellectual heavy topic. Uh, so as a result of this, they often, they often forget about everyday routines. For example, they leave the gas stove on or they don't lock the house door, or they lose their wallet or something. 
it doesn't pay, pay off to do these things, right? Does it? You may get a thief or your house might catch fire or, or, or you know, if you lose your wallet, uh, you may become a homeless person or something uh, in case you keep all your money in it, which is ridiculous nowadays. People usually have accounts where they keep their money, right? But anyway, some people may actually keep all their money in, in their wallets. Not me, not me. So there is no point in stealing my wallet. Listeners, don't you even try. I've got more experience of being able to dig myself out of a hole, as it were. Two interesting phrases here. To dig oneself out of a hole is one. And the second one is as it were. So let's have a look at the first one first. Uh, to dig out... <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. I think I'll need uh, something to drink soon. Well, how more do I have to do? Well, not many more. I think I might pull this off. Let's see. To dig oneself out of a hole. Yeah, I think I might need a, a glass of water to dig myself out of a hole. Oh my god. That was good, right? I managed to use an example for myself even before explaining you what it means. Okay, let's now look at this so that you have something from it as well. Um, this is an idiom, right? You know what an idiom is. I've spoken about this many times before on this podcast. And it's a very nice idiom. And maybe you should learn it in a pair of idioms. The first one being to dig yourself into a hole, which means to get into a difficult situation, right? And the second one is to dig yourself out of a hole, which means uh, to kind of escape or to get from a difficult situation, okay? The meanings of these two phrases are opposite, of course, but you could learn them in a pair. Uh, you could uh, kill two birds with one stone, why not? Okay, an example. Let's say I teach and suddenly forget what to say. It may happen to me because I, I may lose my train of thoughts or something. And of course, there are some techniques that an experienced teacher can use to dig himself out of a hole. For example, you can say something funny, something like, Sorry guys, I'm getting old. I am. Don't know how funny this is, but it certainly can help you to release some kind of pressure which you uh, may put on yourself by forgetting what to say. It may make the atmosphere more breathable, as it were. And that's how I am fluently, that's how I am smoothly getting to as it were. It was like gliding, wasn't it? As it were. There is a similar expression to this, which is so to speak. These two expressions, as it were, and so to speak, are used um, in vague language. They are vague language expressions, and we use them when we want to make something vaguer. What is vaguer? Uh, it means you are making it less specific. You are kind of generalizing it, because maybe you don't know exactly what it is, you're not sure, or you just want, 
you just want to give it less importance than it than it deserves or something okay you know what i'm trying to express a certain point i actually often become far too verbose than is necessary verbose i've been learning english for about 20 years but i have to tell you i have to be frank with you not the name frank uh, because certainly i'm zdeniek with you but okay in this specific example i will be frank with you just forget about the name it means honest right frank not the name frank and let me be frank with you it's the first time i hear this word verbose i can't believe it verbose never heard this word before took me some time to identify it, to be honest with you, to be frank with you again. Let me spell it for you, okay? Verbose. Okay, that wasn't spelling, was it? That was pronunciation. Uh, so let me spell it. V-E-R-B-O-S-E, -E, verbose. Now, I'm pronouncing it verbose, and uh, hopefully you, you have noticed that I stressed the second syllable, I didn't say verbose, but I said verbose, okay? It means talky, talkative, blabby. Often gregarious people are verbose, aren't they? So again, you can learn two words at once. Maybe you can learn it as a sentence. Gregarious people are verbose, so to speak. Oh, three expressions there. Nice. Sometimes I'll talk nonsense and ramble as a way of presenting language, right? But then sometimes I'll, I'll talk in order to uh, get a certain message across. And that's a different skill. To get something across, for example, to get a message across, it means to explain, to make people understand. I hope I am getting this analysis across um, in a smooth way and you understand what I'm saying and hopefully you even remember some of the stuff I'm teaching you. Yeah, you can smell. It's, it's suddenly the whole the whole park smells of skunk. Yeah. Because there's a guy sitting behind a tree just over there just smoking a big fat uh, spliff. This is the last one I want to do today. It's a spliff. It's a new piece of vocabulary even for me. I don't know how useful this is. It may be useful for heavy smokers or drug dealers. I hope none of you are drug dealers. A spliff means something like a joint or a cigarette with possibly with cannabis or wheat in it, you know, marijuana. I don't do this stuff. Uh, I strongly believe that smoking a spliff can't help you to uh, to reach your potential in terms of uh, in terms of your physical condition and sharpness and mental health and all that. But of, of course, horses, horses for courses, maybe it's good for you. Maybe you have to smoke weed when you listen to my podcast. I hope not. I hope you don't have to do this. If you do, please do let me know. Um, maybe, no, no, I'm not going to do this experiment of smoking a spliff smoking a spliff and recording the podcast no i'm not gonna do it no never so do you smoke listeners i wonder how many of you smoke spliffs from time to time 
Okay, on this slightly off-color note, I would like to end this episode of the podcast. I hope you learned something from it. Maybe before I end, I could kind of sum up what uh, you may have learned in this episode. Uh, I didn't mean to do it at first, but okay, let's do it. So, no, I'm not going to do it. No, it's too, it would be, it's too long already. Sorry, sorry for um, being indecisive on the podcast. At least it may help you to learn the word indecisive, right? Indecisive means that you cannot kind of decide, should I do this, should I do that? You have more options, uh, you know, if you do one thing, you cannot get the other one. And if you do the other one, you cannot have the first one, etc. Right? Too much of indecisiveness is not healthy, I think. But let me be decisive about wrapping this episode up. Let me wrap it up. Throw it into my bin. Okay, I wasn't reading from the script. I was partly reading from it. Now I'm not. Now I'm improvising, but I guess uh, this is not too hard because it's all done now and all I have to do is to say goodbye. And I am certain that I am well capable of saying goodbye on my podcast. I have done it many times and I will be able to do it this time as well. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening to this episode. And until next time, bye!